It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So for the month of May, we're going to do a giveaway. Yes. We have, we covered Amanda Gorman, I think episode two. Right. Yep. And we have her book, The Hill We Climb, her inaugural poem that she read on January 20th of 2021. So for the month of May, anybody who reaches out to us via Instagram or tangentialinspiration.com on our website or um, Gmail. Yeah, with tangential inspiration, sends us suggestions or just reaches out in any way, shape, or form. Their name will get tossed into a pot, and then at the end of the month, we're going to draw names, and whoever is drawn will win the book "The Hill We Climb" by Amanda Gorman. So cool. For my birthday, yeah, <laughs> which everyone thought my birthday was on May fourth, which right. I because you're a Star Wars that. fan. Not everybody, but I got a lot of texts on May fourth. Yeah, so I think they just. They, they, which I'll take it. Wish my birthday was on May 4th. But anyway, on my birthday, my youngest son's girlfriend, Sophie, who I just love, gave me a poster of 100 iconic women. Oh, the poster is a painting of 100 women who've made a difference in the world. Some so are historic, cool. some are contemporary. Some of them I'd heard of, but many of them I hadn't. This poster is global. It's of women from all over the world, not just from the U.S. and Europe. I love that it covers women from sports to science, politics to entertainment, civil rights to music, just everything. So cool. Very, very cool. It's so bright and colorful. I know. Very fun. I mean, it's just fun and vibrant. Like I said, there are women on it that are household names. Princess Diana. I see her both, down yeah, there. <laughs> Kamala Harris, Oprah, Gloria Steinem, RBG, yes. which we still need to do, Michelle Obama, Aww. and Amelia Earhart. But for each woman whose name I recognized, there was another name I had never heard of. For me, that's super exciting. Yes, totally. So those names represent stories about women doing amazing things, stories I haven't read yet. And Sophie didn't just give me a poster, she gave me a reading list. Aww. So you can bet there are going to be some podcasts in the future covering these remarkable women. The artwork, like we said, is yeah. very fun. It's bright and it's just bold. I, I I don't know. I like the bold colors. I do too. Each of the 100 women has her likeness captured in a colorful and fun way. Along with the poster comes a list of the women pictured. So you can match the names with the face, which I love to do. Because Wangari, oh, it's on this thing right here. Okay. So Wangari, I noticed her right away with her her headband there. So you can match the women with the face, almost like a yearbook. And I'm setting up a new office for my new job, which is very exciting. So you can bet I will be proudly displaying this on my wall. I absolutely love this gift. Sophie obviously gets me. Right. But I also wanted to share a bit about the artist who did the poster as well. Her name is Malia Abidi. She's Pakistani-American, and she is also a neuroscience student. Oh, wow. So super smart and very talented. She moved to the U.S. when she was 14, and she uses her artwork to help focus attention on women's rights, mental health, climate change, and anti-racism. When you go to her website, and we'll just, it, you know, her name's very long, so we'll link it up on our inspirational links. You can't help but immediately love the artwork. It's all colorful and vibrant, and I also think people should follow her on Instagram. Yeah. She's got some of her pictures, on, photos on there as well. 
It's definitely not hoity-toity fine art by any means, but it's just fun. Right. It's just fun. I think she does a great job capturing the essence of the people she paints. Besides her posters, her artwork is used in campaigns against domestic violence, the banning of child marriages, which oh, we've talked yes. about a lot. Yeah. I didn't even realize, ex- sadly, I didn't realize existed. And promoting education for girls around the world. She has a book out called Pakistan for Women, Stories of Women Who Have Achieved Something Extraordinary. This book not only has Malia's unique brand of art, but also has stories about Pakistani women who've made a difference in fields as diverse from astrophysicists to firefighters. And I also saw there's like a a lady who did a, a motorcycle trek oh, across wow. Pakistan. And wow, that's got to have been ri- hot. Solo ride, yeah. Well, that's so, got to have been a real hot one. Just very unique and eclectic yeah. coverage. Her book is dedicated to her grandmother. I loved this. Aww. Who she said is the strongest person she ever knew. Aww. How sweet is that? Yeah. She has two other books in the works, Extraordinary Women of Color Who Changed the World and Journey to America, 25 Immigrants Who Transformed a Nation. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on, on both of those. Yeah. Malia's also been busy as an advocate to discuss more about mental health. She's the founder of The Story of Mental Health, which is an organization that provides information on mental health and creating a safe space online for discussions about mental health. Oh, so needed. Which we know, yeah, so, so needed. There's strong stigmas about mental health, particularly in countries like Pakistan, Nepal, India, and Bangladesh. Her studies in neuroscience have made her passionate about trying to get mental health to be less of a taboo subject and encourage treatment or rather than hiding a mental health issue. To tell you, I love this young woman's art and I love how she's using it to make a statement about female empowerment and social justice. Definitely going to put this poster up in my new office and draw strength from it every day. And I'm sure it'll spark some interesting oh, conversations. For sure. But That's kind of fun. You know that I'll be adding, which I already did, this girl to my Instagram because I think she very well may become an iconic woman herself. I can't believe we're in the month of May. I know. 2021 is cruising by. Way better than 2020. That's true. Because last year at this time, we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. I decided to research Laura Bush since moms are a theme for the month. I have to say, the more I read about this woman, the more I admire and love her. I read she wipes her shelves down with (laughs) Clorox to relax and organizes her extensive library collection using uh, the Dewey Decimal System. That is hilarious. I know. Well, I have to say, she had me at Clorox. Yeah. I am yeah. a girl who finds therapy and wiping my counters and vacuuming. Okay, the thing that's funny about all of this, when other, my mom was stressed yeah. or angry, yeah. there would be vacuuming that's or, me. like, yeah. clean, you know, like, super cleaning. Right. So. And I used to be kind of a closet person about it, but mm-hmm. now I'm just totally open. Like, I'm stressed. <laughs> just watch out. Yeah. I'm going to clean. But anyway, that's a good thing. It's actually. a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a win-win. Yeah, it is. I get the stress out, and then I get a clean house. Yeah. Laura Lane Welch was born in Midland, Texas, on November fourth, nineteen forty-six. Interestingly, she came from a lineage of matriarchal and strong women. Her grandmother lost her husband sadly to suicide, and her seven oh. daughters, one being her grandmother Jessie, took on maintaining their very successful dairy farm. So the daughters were the labor, they did the milking, cleaning of the barn, and the delivery. <laughs> that sounds... I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. And it's it a lot of work. miserable to me. Yeah, yes. and especially back then, because this would have been before 1900, that they took Cold that on. Cold, and even in Texas, yeah. getting up that early and just, you know. So Harold Welch, Laura's father, served in World War II, and after the war, he built houses in Midland, 
and her mother, Jenna, kept the books for his business. They totally adored Laura. They wanted more children, but unfortunately, they couldn't. Jenna had many miscarriages. Mm. I know. Really sad. And that's back in the day where you didn't know much about... You didn't know much about infertility or any of that. Yeah. Um, You just didn't discuss issues like that. Right. So talk about lonely and... I think that was really hard. Laura's mom and dad were devoted to her. She went to private kindergarten, dance class, swimming lessons, and was a brownie. Pretty full schedule. (laughs) Now, a brownie... I is know. that the start? Is that before Girl Scouts? Yeah, that's okay. before Girl okay. Scouts. That's like you usually. Because I was, uh, I did Bluebirds. Okay, yeah. So we sold candy, not the cookies. So right. I, it's just always interesting with what, what, yeah. It's neat, just whatever involvement. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And her mother read to her and really sparked Laura's lifelong love of books and learning. Her mother also instilled a sense of the natural world. Her mother could identify hundreds of native Texas birds and wow. plants. It sounds like my, mother, my mother-in-law. I know, it's pretty amazing. Her mother was also the brownie leader, and of course, the, <laughs> of course the girls got the bird badge. Her mother was also a conservationist <laughs> in a group called the Mid-Nats, short for Midland Naturalists, which I find so fascinating because we're in oil country. Mm-hmm. Seems like oxymoron. It, right it really does. I love that her mom put up posters around town warning about the dangers of DDT mm-hmm. after she read about it in her Audubon <laughs> Mag- Society magazine. And it reminded me of Rachel Carson, episode mm-hmm. 21. I just, I love well, I when I find I those connections. You the know? connections and that this is at a time, that's not a popular concept. Not that's at not, all. To put that out there, that's pretty bold. Yeah. And I love her confidence in right. being able to stand up to that. I thought that was really, really admirable. Fun. Yeah, exactly. Laura enjoyed playing school, like many of us, with her dolls. I remember (laughs) playing in my dad's closet, lining up the stuffies and the dolls. But I just, what a fun memory. Growing up in Midland was a typical small town in the 1950s, 60s. Kids would ride bikes to friends' houses, go to the local... Without helmets. I know. Yeah, go to the local (laughs) drugstore for a soda or the drive-in. Midland is midway between El Paso and Dallas. That's probably Hmm. where, where you get the name, but... Laura was shy and studious, but she was well-liked by all. Her life changed on November 6, 1963, when she picked up her friend Judy heading to the local drive-in. The road traveled on was really dark and not well-marked. The road looped to a dead end at the Mm drive-in, and she glimpsed and didn't see the other car before they collided. Mm -hmm. She was thrown from her car. And really bad. This was like back before seatbelts, yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah. And badly beaten, suffered a broken ankle. Aww. I know. And while she was waiting with her friend Judy, she kept praying for the other driver, hoping they were mm-hmm. all right. And she didn't know. But unfortunately, the other driver was a classmate, uh, Michael Douglas, who died as a result of the accident. Aww. I mean, to live I with that no the rest that of your life. Had. Yeah. I mean. Forever. Forever. This made a already quiet Laura even more so oh, and sure. and even more cautious. After high school, she left Midland and went to college at SMU, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Inspired by her second grade teacher, Charlene Nagy, she went into teaching and received a degree in education. I love how many teachers inspire people to I be teachers too. because it is... You know, it's a profession that's all so much work and not a lot of, they just don't get a lot of uh, accolades, accolades or credit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. Her first job out of school was in a poor area of Dallas. The kids were predominantly African Americans and bust in. She taught third grade. And I read, she said it was tougher than she expected. Back then, they didn't have like formal mentoring or mm. pairing with veteran teachers like mm-hmm. they do now. 
after one year... So you're just thrown in. You're thrown in, just with your education, and you don't have the practical experience Mm -hmm. that a lot of times they do now. I think it's like a practicum or something they do. Which makes a lot of sense for them to learn from mentors that have been doing it for years. After a year in Dallas, she headed to Houston, partly because she was lonely and she wanted to work downtown, hoping she'd meet people. She wanted to teach again in a minority school, where she talks about learning about the dignity of every human, every child, and how important every child is and how important each one of their lives are. It's just so sweet. She taught second grade, and her students could feel her authenticity, and she would move up a grade. Like, when they would move up to third grade, she would okay. follow them. There's she a name third grade. for that. I, I know. remember what it's called, but yeah, and, I, I do like that. And so, yeah, some teachers it's do comforting that. comforting for It's the very kids. comforting. And then she, you know, she was realizing that she, her love of books and reading with the students kind of led her to get a graduate degree in library science, which she got from the University of Texas in Austin. And then after grad school, she remained in Austin, worked as a librarian at an underprivileged school called Molly Dawson Elementary School, which is named for a teacher back in the 1900s. Yeah. And the neighborhood was 80% Hispanic and 90% of the students received free lunch. So it's really a poor area, but she describes the faculty as being really a tenacious bunch. I think it's really neat because they would get together year after year for these reunions. Mm-hmm. And later, Laura would host one at the um, governor's mansion in Austin. Oh, I love that. Which I think is really cool. In 1977, Laura 30 was invited to a backyard barbecue from childhood friend Jan, where she met, guess who? <laughs> <laughs> GW. You know it's coming. After she met him she quickly knew they were opposites i mean she's quiet (laughs) he was gregarious she considered herself a feminist more liberal in her thinking and i had no idea yeah i i i just assumed you know she was married to george w bush and so i assumed that she shared his his views i think she's very very quiet and silent about but but very purposeful in what she the things that she decides to um go after like education right that's so, yeah. That's one of her big. It was a big initiative, equity and education, and she really wasn't interested in politics at all. And George, you know, came from a legacy of yeah. Republicans. Yeah. yeah, and I found this surprising. After six weeks of meeting, they got married. Oh my gosh! I know it was a sim- after a month and a half. I yeah. can't even, and they're still married. I know it's pretty crazy. I mean, it was a simple wedding, no gown. She wore a suit off the rack. They got married in a chapel, and it just I'm just surprised by the simplicity of their wedding. Yeah, because he came from a well-to-do, yeah. like, privileged family. family. Yeah. Yeah, that, that does surprise me. I love it. I do, too. I just... And so Laura decided not to work after marriage, and George never forced Laura into politics. They kind of had this agreement. She said she would never give a speech, and she'd run with him. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out she gave lots of speeches, and she never even went for a jog with him. <laughs> Now, you were saying he jogs. I think he has this thing, like, he'd always run three miles at least. Yeah. I need to look that up because yeah. I am very curious Here. about that. Yeah, he was he's a runner. But she won't run with him. Yeah. Either. So he, he focused on the local oil business in Midland, which really had its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And they wrote it out like many of their friends. At th- and then at 35, Laura was pregnant with twins. It was a rough pregnancy. She developed toxemia, which well, is... Well, 35, yeah. sadly, you're already... They talk about, you know, because I had my boys and they were like, you're older. Me too. I was 35 with my first. Which you feel like that's so young, but. Yeah, you feel like a senior citizen. (laughs) They make you feel that way. You're not, but. 
But the doctor wanted wanted to take the babies out, but Laura insisted that they remain until they were big enough. Jenna and Barbara, named for Laura and George's mothers, were born. That is the just, sweetest. Isn't that thing. darling? I love that. Yeah, I love that. They were born five weeks early, and they were healthy babies. She loved being a mother. She read to them all the time. Actually, they both did. In the book I read, there, there's this darling picture with them both on their laps in their reading book. So it's Aww. really sweet. And Laura said that George and I loved that we each had a baby to hold. I just mm-hmm. love that. Laura would make homemade baby food from scratch, and then Friday nights they'd go out for Mexican food, and the girls would have rice and beans. I can picture that, because I, I remember those days with my kids. When the girls were five, George wanted to get back into politics and help his father with his presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. Laura hated to leave Midland. Her parents were there, and they had a nice rhythm of having family dinners yeah. together. Yeah. But they packed up their small moving van, Pontiac, and minivan, and headed to D.C., it was an exciting time because, you know, the, they would have Saturday night burgers at the vice president's house. I love that. And the girls would, you know, slide down the banister. But importantly, George and Laura really learned a lot about politics, just kind of observing. Mm-hmm. And then after George H.W. Bush won election as the 41st president, George realized he would need to do something career-wise <laughs> before heading into the political right. arena. Yeah. So... He decided to move back to Dallas, and he negotiated and purchased the Texas Rangers, which is a baseball hmm. team in Arlington. It's just outside of Dallas. Actually, I went to a game there. My sister used to live in Arlington. so it's- Are they a good team? I think so. I mean, oh, I'm not a baseball person, yeah, I'm not so either. I really That's don't. That's why I'm asking. I don't know. <laughs> but it was a good time for them. The girls were involved. Laura would take them to school, and they'd spend their night, summer nights at baseball games. Mm-hmm. Probably a blast for I know. What a fun thing, you know. They started a public school and ended up at an all-girls school. At that time, Laura became involved with CPS and that Adopt a Caseworker program. So what is CPS? And child, what is, oh, I mean, okay, Child Protective Services. Oh, okay. okay. So, so, the, so it's Adopt this okay. Caseworker program. So many mm-hmm. of these caseworkers from CPS would literally have their, the kids in their arms and then just immediately remove from the house. And they would use their own money to go and take care of this child. Mm-hmm. So she put together this rainbow house in Dallas where the caseworkers could have access to car seats, clothing, books, crayons, and other items. And then later when she was first lady of Texas, she set up one in Austin and other locations mm. statewide, which I yeah, think is really love cool. Her heart. She's got a big heart. Yeah. I just I just love sweet, her. Sweet lady. Then in 1995, the family moved to Austin when George became governor of Texas. Laura has always supported George. She always says, as long as it's something he truly wants to do for himself and nobody else. Mm-hmm. I think that's her way of kind of like, as long as it's what he it has wants. has to be authentic to authentic. his heart. Okay. And she, yeah, I just admire her calm approach to her life and her family. Mm-hmm. The living arrangement was different in the governor's mansion. They lived upstairs and downstairs was the museum and the docents oh. would leave tours. They could hear the tours upstairs. So we're, I think one of the girls even heard when they were homesick, they were talking about the pets in the house. And mm-hmm. they meant they didn't know what the cat's name is. One of the girls was yelling out the window, it's India or something. I think that was oh, just so funny. funny. But she was always concerned that the twins would have like a normal upbringing. Yeah. And so when they first moved in, she was concerned the girls' rooms were kind of quite small. But as the tour went on, they found this room called the Sam Houston bedroom, which had this big four-poster bed. So it's perfect for teenage girls for sleepovers. Mm-hmm. Again, they fell into a nice pattern, always trying to have someone home by four. I just love that. They're mm-hmm. always and have a meal together. I think that is so important. It's telling of yeah, their family. Of their family the values. Yeah. yeah. 
They, you know, they were regular parents. Even though he's governor, they went to back to school night, volleyball games, all the normal mm-hmm. activities. And she began speaking across the state on behalf of literacy and early reading programs. She put together a literary event, the Texas Book Festival. She invited Texas authors to speak, and all the proceeds went to Texas libraries. That's neat. It's super neat. In its first 14 seasons, the festival raised $2.3 million for the Texas libraries. And for that time. I know. That's that's a lot. It's a lot lot of money. Yeah. I just, I love her spirit and constant commitment to reading and education mm-hmm. and as well as your family. She's also a regular person going out, in this book, going out the back door of the government <laughs> mansion, heading to Austin's Town Lake to go for a long walk with a friend. I mean, she's just yeah. not pretentious. Yeah. And I love that her go-to outfit is a white blouse and jeans. I mean, that's my yeah. kind of gal, you Simplicity. know. Simplicity. Simplicity. Yeah. And then one afternoon when she's out with her friends, she found this property, sixteen. 100 acres. It's huge. But later they they bought it from the sale of the Rangers baseball team. They had some mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. But I admire her passion for nature. She found a native expert to help her restore the prairie on that oh. property. And they ended up covering 40 acres with native grasses. And a fun fact, Susan Rife of the Lady Bird Johnson mm-hmm. Wildlife Center Noted it was the largest private prairie restoration in the state of Texas. I think so cool. Very, very cool. And then eventually they built a rustic 4,000-square-foot one-story home, finally known as Crawford Ranch or the West White House. (laughs) It's modest, environmentally constructed. You're talking about the bushes. The bushes. but And a 4,000-square-foot home. On that huge property. Yeah, that's, that's very... Conservative. Very conservative. And it utilized geothermal energy system for cooling and heating. So the rainfall and wastewater from sinks and toilets and showers is filtered through a 42,000-gallon cistern. And then it's recycled. And they used that to irrigate their lawns, which, you know, I think it's an interesting use. I thought that was kind of cool. I never, I'm so glad you are covering her because I never would have guessed that the bushes would utilize that. Yeah. And that would be you know, part of their property. I think that's just a good find. Right. I, I know. Great people. And then I love this. In one of the powder, in the powder room, instead of a mirror over the sink, it's just a window with a beautiful view of a hundred-year-old tree. Oh, which is what you should be focusing on. The beauty of nature and right. what is out there. Exactly. Then later in 1999, George decided to run for president and um, being mom of twins has always She's, been her highest priority. Yeah. I love this. Laura took time off the campaign trail to move the twins into their prospective colleges. Jenna went to the University of Texas in Austin, and Barbara went to Yale and New Haven. George won against Al Gore. So I don't, imagine like being those girls. I know when your father's going through a you know the, at the camp on the campaign yeah. trail and just the pressure. The pressure. I know. I can't even imagine. I think it. I think it was hard. You I'm know? sure. So they packed light because they knew the White House was furnished, and she mm-hmm. donated. I love this. She's so pragmatic. Donated a lot of things. Sent a few things to the to the ranch. Um, <laughs> I just like that she's just kind I of love simple. the ranch. That yeah. just cracks me up for some. I don't know why, but. And then, as always, you know, Laura's love of books and education, mm-hmm. that would be her focus as First Lady. She planned to celebrate authors on the inauguration eve, similar to what mm-hmm. she did at the Texas Book Festival in mm-hmm. Austin. The event was called Laura Bush Salutes American Authors. <laughs> 
Which this was her first because lady. I totally want to look this up. But I know the books she covered. I know what. It's not my cool. favorite. She had Mary Higgins Clark and Carol Higgins love. Clark. I've read those Mary mysteries. Higgins Clark. Yes, love her. And then Stephen Ambrose, he's a historian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Texas author Steve Hardigan, just to name a few. With him, but. Yeah, but there, she, I I just love that. Besides family attending. Many of her friends from Texas, as well as her second grade teacher. Oh, my god! I just love that when you see that. Yeah. Someone that's inspired you is there to see you. To support you. Support you. I just and, love it. And something you're trying to promote. I just think it was a nice way to begin her service as a first Absolutely. lady. You know, as education being her primary focus, she began working with for Teach America and Troops to Teachers, which... Encourages military who are retired from service to go into teaching. In less than the 10 years, they um, sent almost 4,000 troops into teaching, which I think is a nice career to have something. After having served. A very rough, yeah. I mean, because military life cannot be easy. So, and neither is teaching. Yeah. I just thought that was really. Military troops would be great teachers. Right. Laura accompanied George and visited underserved schools in the Midwest as part of fulfilling his campaign promise to make education reform his first initiative, No Child Left Behind. And this came from Laura's passion and belief. If children were not reading by third grade, they were lost, and that every child could read and excel. I, that kind of makes me teary. I know. It's just that. Well, it's so true. Because third grade, you know, you you learn to read and then you um, read to learn. You know, like yeah. how to do That's your math how, well, problems. Well, like we've and, talked about with Dolly Parton. Yeah. I mean, you can be a lifelong learner. Right. If you can read. Yeah. If, if you, you can't read, then. You're not going to succeed. Yeah. yeah, you can't succeed. And I just so appreciate their approachable way. While visiting elementary schools around the Midwest, George and Laura would sit with the children answering questions like, do you ride in a limo? <laughs> Do you ever get bored with your job? Of course. So I just thought that was really, I like that. And then we were talking about the girls. So, so besides focusing on education initi- initiatives, she had to also contend with the bad press about the girls with the, I mean, some underage drinking. Mm-hmm. And I just, well, they're college life. I mean, you have to take that into consideration. Right. They're young, they're That's young part people of the finding experience. their own way. Yeah. yeah, and I just love that they really wanted them to, you know, to live a normal normal college life and they without the scrutiny of the press. Well, and I love that motherhood, you know, her being their mama bear yeah. was more important to her than her Worrying about what they said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I read that it didn't seem to ruffle her where George would occasionally be kind of upset by it. So I think their approach to parenting really, you know, complemented each yeah. other. And then I, since we're dog lovers, I love this empty nesters. <laughs> they would spend their evenings with their three dogs, Barney Aww. and Miss I had a Barney Beasley. growing up. Yes, oh, I cute. had a Cocker Spaniel. This, yeah, they the had Scottish inherited. Terriers. And then their dog Spot was an English Springer Spaniel. Oh, that's cute. Now I want to see pictures of the dogs, I know. Too. So I got to look up who she included in those authors and yeah. her dogs. And then, unfortunately, early in George's presidency, he faced a very tough time in the U.S. and in history, the horrific event of yeah. 9-11, leading the U.S. to war against Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And she actually really got involved in this. She gave the Americans an assignment to contribute money to the Afghan Children's Fund. And she hosted 13 women teachers from Afghanistan in the White House and prior to that, these teachers were at a special professional training in Nebraska where they live with local families. Mm-hmm. So they pledged to teach 10 new teachers when they got back to 
Afghanistan. And this this would be the beginning of Laura's involvement with the U.S. Afghan Women's Council. So when they Council. pledged this, they so the they teachers... Learned, yeah, they learned a profession. Just, I think it's just empowerment. Mm-hmm. And then they were going to go back and teach 10 mm-hmm. more teachers. And then they would continue. Yeah, okay, continue gotcha. on. So this is really cute. She was in... On March 8th, 2002, she was at the United Nations for International Women's Day. And she's so modest. She didn't realize until she found her spot the morning of the event that she was representing the U.S. at the United Nations. I love that. She spoke of the U.S. government commitment to to aid the people of Afghanistan and that she announced that like more than uh, four million donated so far um, by the American by American children to help the children of Afghanistan. Mm. So it was a call for American children help the children of Afghanistan. I think I love that. So sweet. And then later she visited, participated in the U.S. and Afghan Women's Council meetings where American women partnered with Afghanistan women and shared their expertise in education, business, politics, law, and health care. I admired her continual passion for education and getting involved. And over the course of her husband's eight years in office, she was definitely an active first lady, rolling up her sleeves, Mm -hmm. getting involved, caring about people, both in America and abroad. I'm just scratching the surface of her accomplishments. And she did all this while still, I mean, she still was a mom. Was still a mom. Yeah. Which is a job in itself. For sure. So after the White House, Laura and George moved back to their ranch in Texas. She co-chaired with Michelle Obama the centennial celebration of the National Park Service in 2016. I think that's so cool. I need to look all of that up because I just, you know, I love Teddy Roosevelt and the National Park. So that is all together. Very inspiring. And the twins are now grown up and married. Jenna has three children and is a co-host with Hoda <laughs> on my favorite morning show, The Today Show. And I love her books with different yeah. inspirational things each day. And I love last week I was watching The Today Show. And Laura, which they call her, the, the girls call her Mimi Maxwell. Jenna and Barbara came up with that nickname for her. Hmm. And I'm not sure why. Hmm. But she was visiting Jenna because she was uh, talking on the Today Show that she heard whispering in her daughter's room and went to check on her. And it was like her mom and daughter just kind of cuddled together. And she just commented what such a beautiful thing. Barbara is an American activist. Mm -hmm. She co-founded with with her sister Jenna uh, and is chair and uh, board of the nonprofit organization Global Health Corps. Hmm. So that I looked into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. They are training health leaders to like, in third world countries, mm-hmm. and um, just to for kind of health, equi- you know, healthcare equity. And so to so, travel to third world countries, yeah, travel and people and, in third world countries and help, to. Train I think them. travel and help and help, help train them, train them, and and be leaders. Gotcha. Uh, Laura and Jenna have co-authored two children's books. Uh, read all about it, which is really cute. Mm-hmm. I looked at that, and then um, our great. Big Backyard, which is kind of like a traveling kind mm-hmm. of around the United States. Mm-hmm. I appreciate Laura's love of reading and how she shared it with her girls and really with our nation through her initiatives and her books. I really respect her authenticity and her approachable character, especially as First Lady. And I admire her constant support of her husband yeah. and girls. She truly embodies the definition of motherhood. The quote I found for Laura Bush, she said, A love of books 
of holding a book, turning its pages, looking at its pictures, and living its fascinating stories goes hand in hand with the love of learning. I love that. And I am so old school, like Laura Bush. I want to hold the book. I, I want to I love the like, smell it, it and just, I, I don't want to see it. On my computer screen. I, I don't want to see I can't, it on my I iPad. I tried that. Yeah, I, I want to hold the book. So I, I love this. I heard about this really neat nonprofit, Empower Her. Its mission is to connect girls and young women, ages 24 and younger, who lost their mother. Aww. This organization wants to empower and support girls in their loss. They want girls to know they're not alone in their grief. Kara Belvin founded Empower Her in 2013. She lost her mom when she was nine. Mm. I know. And she said no one knew how to talk about it except her neighbor, Sam. And Sam didn't know what to say either. Mm -hmm. But on Mother's Day, she gave Kara blow pops, which were her favorite treat. And she said, I'm here for you if you need a friend Mm. or you need to talk. And that just that simple gesture Mm -hmm. uh, meant a lot. And so Sam gave Kara blow pops for the next 10 years on Mother's Day. I, I love that. Just kind of, you know, honoring, yeah. honoring her. Well, and just knowing that the notion that she would think of her every Mother's Day. Yeah. It's simple. It's, it's so simple, beautiful. But it is so powerful. Yeah, just those small things. Kara said it really comforted her. And Empower Her relies entirely on volunteers and donations to run their programs and events. They don't charge families anything. Where does this run out of? Do I love you know? it's all over. It's global, oh, okay. actually. Okay. These events are community based. They're mm-hmm. virtual and in person. I watched a video. This is prior to COVID, and the participants were making picture frames with photos of the moms and daughters. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of sharing and tears, but there's a lot of little playing. It was really, really fun. And for the holidays this past December, they did a virtual baking on Zoom. And then for this Mother's Day, they're doing another virtual event. With all girls of all ages around the globe will come together for connection and healing, empowerment to meet others who can relate to their loss. And then I love this. Uh, another sweet thing they're doing for Mother's Day, they're doing these luminaria bags where a participant can personalize in honor of or memory of your loved one. They're, they look beautiful. They're white bags mm-hmm. with this beautiful script font. And the luminaries will be displayed in the Lincoln Memorial in the Reflection Pool oh. in Washington, D.C., uh, also at a historic lighthouse in Boston and a ranch in Austin as well. Oh, we need one in Oregon. I know. I think it's just such a beautiful way to remember your loved one. And represent um, the relationship. Yeah. Just the connection. Um, their website is Empowering Her. Dot .org has so much information for and I just mm. I think I think I love they're filling that need mm-hmm. ways to get involved become a mentor donate and more definitely a need there Don't take yourself seriously we are here today we are gone tomorrow so enjoy every moment of your existence Deepak Chopra Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.